Today, my message is entitled 365 Days of Christmas. Do you ever struggle with a little melancholy after Christmas is over? You ever raise your hand if you have a little, like, a little bit, maybe, yeah? Okay, of course. We pour so much into that. We were in Kentucky one time for Christmas, and we walked out the day after Christmas. We walked out, and I noticed there was a dumpster, and I looked in the dumpster, and there was a tree upside down in the dumpster. It's like, I'm done. Boom, tree in the dumpster. Let's <laughs> take a picture of this tree in the dumpster. I thought, man, that looks sad. And I imagine people gathering around that tree, you know, and giving out gifts and singing. It's like, game over. Christmas is over. Tree in the dumpster. It's kind of hard, you know, you have to kind of a little, you have to kind of orient yourself to re-enter regular life after such a big celebration. I saw somebody took their tree, and instead of, wor- you know, worrying about how they're going to take care of it, they just wrapped it in cellophane, and they're going to stick it in the, in the, uh, in the attic and bring it, bring it down next year and unwrap it. Um, we got a guy in our neighborhood who uh, has lights on his tree, beautiful lights on his tree, big uh, blue spruce out front, beautiful lights. You go, you, you, about Thanksgiving, he'll plug them in, and you just think, oh, how nice. And then Christmas, you know, he's right there where you come into the neighborhood, right there on the right-hand side of the road, and you just think, those are beautiful lights. And he got way up on the top of that big uh, blue spruce. And I noticed last year he left them on after Christmas. Matter of fact, I went, and I was speaking at a Valentine banquet, and I remember coming in that night about 2 o'clock in the morning thinking, when is he going to unplug his Christmas lights? I almost want to stop the car and go, you want me to help you with this? Because it's Valentine's Day. You know, what's the deal with your Christmas lights still being plugged in? Maybe he's like us. It's just hard for him to pull the plug on Christmas. And I deal with people who often are struggle with discouragement or, or depression. And sometimes it's seasonal and sometimes it's connected to other things. It's interesting that there's no command in the Bible to celebrate the Lord's birth. There's no Christmas command in the Bible. But what's interesting is the things that we love about Christmas the most are all things that the Bible commands us to do 365 days out of the year. And you know that people, they they have, you know, even people that don't know the Lord often have this kind of what they'll call like the Christmas spirit. And there's something to that, deep in the heart of men and women. I read once a guy wrote, I wish that we could put the Christmas spirit in jars and we could open up a little jar of Christmas spirit every month. Like, that's true. I think a lot of people feel that way. And, and Evangel's best kept secret, really, is like, you know, we had a huge group here on Christmas Eve. That was awesome. And every single, except the bone steel pew, I mean, not the bone steels, but the bone steel pew was the only... Pugh, did you know that we named that after you, Chris, in, in your group? And, and, and what's cute about Chris is he's always there, and then on special occasions, he turns it over to other people graciously, and he lets them sit in his pew. Anyway, it was the only pew that didn't have people sitting in it in the lower level. It was like 500 people, say 485 people uh, on Christmas Eve. What a great time of the year. People, that just appeals to them, right? Because that's the way the human spirit is. Something about Christmas appeals to us, and that's because we're made by God, and all that Christmas stuff is from the Lord. But he never intended for us to isolate that to one day of the year. So this might be Evangel's best kept secret. And that is, guess what we do every Sunday? Over 50 weeks a year, we sing Christmas-like songs about Jesus. And we talk about Jesus. And we preach about Jesus. And we give gifts. And we give gracious, kind greetings to one another. We're like Christmassy all the time around here. Our name sounds like Christmas. Evangel. It's like got the angel in the name of the church. That might be our, our best 
kept secret. It reminds me of a song that we've listened to in our home for years. My favorite version is Julie Andrews' version called The Secret of Christmas. And she sings in the song, it's not the things you do at Christmas time, but what? It's the Christmas things that you do all year through. So I want to share with you eight ways that, that to dispel the post-Christmas gloom today. The Bible says in Luke chapter 2 and verse 10, the angel says to them, Don't be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. It didn't say, and the angel didn't say, I'm going to make it possible for you to have one happy day per year. He said, I'm going to bring joy that's never going to stop. Jesus. So here are eight things that are Christmas things. And I want to challenge you about these things. And I think they'll be helpful. First, worship every day. Worship every day. The heart of Christmas is worship. And the heart of worship should never stop beating. If you take your Bible, you open Luke chapter 1. You notice that Mary, when she hears about the birth of Christ, burst into worshipful song. And did you know this? Mary was a t- young teenage girl, but she was not ignorant of the Scripture. In her song were 30 references to the Old Testament. 30 references in her song. She immediately, her first response to the Christmas idea was to worship. And that's the way it should be for us too. At Christmas time and all the time, the angels came from heaven and worshipped in Luke Chapter 2 and verse 14. And what did the shepherds do but rush in to worship? And what did Simeon do in Luke chapter 2? And what did Anna do in Luke chapter 2? And what did they do? What did the wise men, we call them, in Matthew chapter 2? What did they do? They came and they gave gifts and they worshipped him. The most appropriate response to Jesus' birth and his life is to worship him. And worship is not something that we do one day out of the year. Worship is something that's the heart of our life. It's the heart of, of, uh, of Christianity. Hey, you ever notice this? That Here you have Herod the Great, probably the most documented human being living in the time of the Bible was Herod the Great. And he left, it was documented well because he enslaved people to build stuff for him, you know. And it's made out of rocks, so it's still there. See, that's why. He wasn't necessarily a nice guy. He was really kind of weird. He was, he, was, he was a twisted, perverted, sick, demented guy. Um, and I don't have time, or I could tell you worse things about him. But, but then there, was, there, there were the wise men. He, what's interesting is that if you read the scriptures in Matthew, you see that Herod, called the king of the Jews, understood the Jewish people. He understood the Jewish Bible, if you will. He understood the Jewish hope for a Messiah. He had the knowledge of all of that. Herod had that knowledge. That's interesting, isn't it? The wise men, however, were pagans. Somebody says, well, how did they, how, coming from afar, how did they, no, it's a mystery how they knew what they knew. And we know that their knowledge was incomplete because when they came, they came asking questions that they didn't have the answers for. See, think of the hope in that. If you, you say, well, I know the Bible. It's like, it doesn't matter how much Bible you know. It matters how much God has your heart. Here are these guys that didn't know anything. What they did know made them go a long way to worship God and to seek Him. And they realize that there are people in the world today that don't know about Christ. And the Bible says, like in Romans chapter 1, nature itself is tugging their hearts Godward. And if they respond by taking a step toward God, being drawn by the Spirit to do so, God will make himself known to them. And this is what the, the, the Magi were that way. They were men who didn't live in a Christian culture, who didn't worship a Christian God or a Jewish God, but they had some information and they acted on the information that they had and God gave them more. And when they came, they knew enough to do what? To worship and to give them gifts. 
One of the ways to dispel the gloom that we all kind of feel when Christmas is over is to say, wait a minute, the heart of Christmas was worship, and the heart of Christian life is worship, and you don't have to stop worshiping because Christmas is over. Worship's the heart of the Christmas story. Worship's the heart and soul of Christianity. Worship is the motive that should be the thing that motivates us in service. A lot of stuff needs to happen for the church to function. And a lot of the people in the church, those of us that are in the church, we should also be functioning outside of the institutional church, right? So, in other words, we should staff the nursery. Amen? Which is, you know, you should be glad the nursery staff because it would be even harder to concentrate on what I'm talking about right now if it wasn't. Now, we love those little cherubs, but they, you know, when they're crying and stuff like that, it's hard to concentrate. And so we have people that staff the nursery. And a lot of times the same people over and over again. I mean, you just got to have people that serve. And I could make you feel guilty about that, you know, or I could, you know, we could say you're allowed to come to church here, but you have to serve in the nursery one out of four Sundays. Everybody who comes, that's part of the dues that you pay. We don't do it like that, but it'd be kind of manipulative. And we would probably get the wrong people in the nursery, right? But everybody ought to serve is what I'm saying. What I'm saying, though, is this. Nobody should serve out of duty. Nobody should serve the living God out of guilt. None of us should go and serve the living God out of guilt. We ought to serve God because he ravaged our hearts. Because We ought to serve out of worship. That's what I'm saying. This is the way our church should be. Our church should be the kind of church that the people are doing what they're doing, not because somebody made them feel guilty, or not because somebody manipulated them, or not because somebody organized it well, but just because they love the Lord. That's why you should come to church services. Come if you love the Lord. If somebody is doing some other weird thing to you, then don't worry about it. Don't come because somebody twisted your arm. Come because you know that there is a living God and you want to seek him and you want to love him and you want to serve him. Then come. Give because you love Not because the pastor's whining about money. It's like, no, if you love the Lord and you know the Lord and your heart wants to give him a gift, that's the gift that he wants. If your heart doesn't want to give him a gift, he doesn't want that. He wants your heart. That's right. And so that's the way that this church should be. That's the way our lives should be. Worship every day. So how would you, I'm just telling you, you want to be happy all year long. You want to be purposeful all year long. One of the things to do is worship all the time. And I'll just tell you this too, from a personal experience, I've fought in dwelling sin all my life. I know it's hard just to look at me here and you think, he just seems like a perfect guy. I know that. I know you think that. But I have fought in dwelling sin all my life. All my life. I like made a study of how do you sin less and be good more. You know, it's just, I've worked at that all my life. You guys should work at that harder than you do. But anyway, I've worked at it all my life. And, and I've found this. I have found that worship is one of the most powerful tools, if you will, most powerful weapons against my own indwelling sin. It actually replaces the thing I do when I sin. Instead of gossiping, I can worship. Instead of lusting, I can worship. Instead of gluttony, I can worship. Everything can be replaced and should be replaced. Every bad thing should be replaced by, by rooting our affections in the Lord. That's a Christmas thing, of course, but it's a Christian thing. And so that's the first. There's seven more. Do good works and have good will toward men Every day. These are Christmas things, but they're Christian things. That's what the, the angelic announcement, good will to men. Take your Bibles and look in the book of Titus. I want to show you something in the book of Titus. Titus is a little book of the Bible that's written to a fledgling church. And I like to call it, when I first came here, I did a series of messages, and I called my messages on Titus the little red book of church. In other words, just simple things that the Bible teaches about what makes a church a church. I want to show you something about what makes a church a church today. And I think it also is like what makes people tick. 
I just want to show you an emphasis in the book of Titus. So here you have the book of Titus, and there are three chapters, 40-some verses in Titus. So you really do have kind of a primer, kind of a simple book on what a good church should be like. One of the things I want to point out here is that one of the first things it does is it tells the qualifications of elders or of leaders or of pastors. And then it kind of goes through the church body and talks about you need to have godly older men, godly older women, godly young men, godly young women. And what do they need to do? They need to go and do good works. That's kind of the essence of the book. All right? So are you paying attention? Are you paying attention? Take your Bible, look in Titus, and I want to show you something, okay? Take a look. Open your little phone or your, or your Bible, and I want, you to, I want to show you something. Uh, chapter 1, verse 1 says, do things that accord with godliness. In other words, behave the way godly people should. In verse chapter 1 and verse 16, it talks about people that aren't qualified to be leaders. And it says they're not qualified to be leaders because their works deny them. In other words, they don't do good works. And it says because they're not qualified for what? Every good work. This is going to be a theme here. In a little tiny book, it keeps talking about good works. Not for salvation, But to make the church work, that's how it works. Chapter 2 and verse 1. As for you, speak things which become proper for sound doctrine. And don't think in terms of like theology here. That idea is right living. And good works. uh, Chapter uh, 2 and verse 5 is talking about women. They should be discreet and chastened, homemakers and good and obedient to their husbands. That the word of God may not be blasphemed. They should, the young men should show themselves. Verse 7 is a pattern of good works. In verse chapter 2 and verse 14, it says, He gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people who are zealous of good works. So, think, now think a minute. Who wrote the book? Who wrote the Bible? Okay, good answer. Well, this is not a trick question. God wrote the Bible, right? And who made you? Same person. And he knows how you tick. He knows how you work. And when he wrote a little book about church, he said, one of the main things is just do good works. Do you think that the God who made you knows how to make you happy? Of course he does. So if he says good works is an important part of you functioning as a person, then you're probably not going to really be joyful or happy unless you have good works in your life. And isn't that funny? That's one of the things that makes Christmas so wonderful. Just doing good things and having goodwill toward other people. That's one of the things that makes church so wonderful. It's like we're trying to do good for one another. And that's uh, something we should be always devoted to. It says it in verse 8 of chapter 3. This is a faithful saying. About chapter 3 and verse 1, ready for every good work. Chapter 3, verse 8, faithful saying. And these things I want you to affirm constantly that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable. At the very end, in chapter 3 and verse 14, he says, let it, let our people also learn to maintain good works and meet urgent needs. So, in 46 verses and three chapters of the little primer on church, it repeats over and over again that good works are supposed to be a part of that. So you, one of the reasons why Christmas was happy for you is because of the good works that you did for other people. And one of the things that can make your life unceasingly joyful is just to do Good works in Christ's name for other people. So there you go. Number one, worship. Every day, 365, 24-7. And two, do good works. Here's number three. Devote yourself to peace, forgiveness, and reconciliation every day. That's a Christmas thing. That's a Christian thing, right? I mean, Luke chapter 2 and verse 14, the angels say Jesus comes and he brings what? Peace on earth. Does that sound relevant to you? 
peace on earth? Hey guys, I, you look at me like you're going, I came to church today, but I don't have to listen. <laughs> Let's, come on, come on. Peace on earth, it's like a newspaper. That's all the big talk today. How are we going to get people to get along? How are we going to get people to, to not shoot each other? How are we going to be, get people to, to understand each other and live together? That's what Jesus came. That's a Christmas thing. But it's a Christian thing. Peace. And, you know, and often, don't you have stories of reconciliation? I mean, if you're going to get together, you're going to get back together at Christmas, right? It's just because it's a Christian. Because it's a Christmas thing. Because it's a Christian thing. When Jesus is described in the Old Testament, hundreds of years before he was born, he's called what? A lot of things, but he's called in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, you know, the government will be upon his shoulder and he will be called the Prince of Peace. There's a poetic ring to it. The Prince of Peace. Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace and the world won't really know peace until he comes back. But in the meantime, his people are spreading around in subversive little groups doing kingdom-like things underground. That's what we're about. So when you see the evening news and you see the terrible things that people do to one another, we're like, we're going to try to double our good works to make up for the bad things that people have done to one another. That's like that little thing that Carrie was showing, the little after-school thing. I assume some of it's after-school, the, the lighthouse thing. It's like God's people doing kind things to other people, good works. You say, well, you know, we could do that here in town. Like, yeah, we could, couldn't we? And we do. You know, there's an elementary school that I drive by. And every once in a while, I look over that little elementary school, the Eureka Heights there. And, and I think, you know, there's like 50 kids, 40, 50 kids, sometimes a few more, I think. They come right into our own building, and Jay Cooper teaches them Bible lessons and uh, tells them stories. And uh, they come on our, our bus, and some of our people help uh, to organize that. There's just something good and right about that. This church ought to be here to do stuff like that. Those little kids that go to that school, somebody ought to tell them about Jesus Christ. Somebody ought to show them how wonderful it is to know the Lord. That's what we should be about. That's a Christmas thing, but it's a Christian thing. It's just what we do. We do good works. We, how is there ever going to be peace unless the Prince of Peace moves into the heart of people? Number four, fill every day with singing and expressions of joy. I like this one because I like to sing. Live with a song in your heart. Write that down. Li- I mean, I remember it. Yeah, just remember this. Li- My wife says, don't tell people to write stuff down. So, so I'm not telling you to write that down, but if you're going to write it down, that would be a good thing to write down. Keep in your mind. Would you, would you remember this? Live with a song in your heart. It'll help you. You see, sometimes I don't feel like singing. I don't know. Sing anyway. Right? Sing it. You'd be surprised. When you sing, sometimes the song will lift your, you'll lift your own spirits by singing. And, and that one of the things about Christmas that's so wonderful is the singing and the carols and the beauty of the songs because they're so rich. I'm not talking about grandma got run over by a reindeer. I could live without that one. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the rich carols, the beautiful, timeless, theologically rich carols of Christmas. And some of those other seasonal songs are pretty. I get that. But you know what I'm saying. Well, that's a Christian thing. It's not just a Christmas thing. It's a Christian thing. That's what we do all the time. We constantly have our dial set on the songs that honor the Lord. And, and so I want to here, here, give, give you an example. Acts 16.25. At midnight, Paul and Silas are praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. This is in their inner, lower bowels of the jail in Philippi. They're doing what? Choir practice. They're singing. Isn't that awesome? You say, well, there's a bunch of Christians that get together, they sing songs. That's ridiculous. No, it isn't. You just don't get it yet. 
You come and join us and sing, and maybe that's one of the reasons why you struggle. Because you, haven't, you don't have a song in your heart. 1 Corinthians 14, 26. Now, as, how is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each one of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, a revelation, interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. The early church, people brought a song to church. Ephesians 5, 19. We speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We sing. We make melody in our hearts to the Lord. That's the Christian thing. It's not just a Christmas thing. Colossians 3.16. One of the ways that we let the word of Christ dwell in us richly is through teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in our hearts to the Lord. James chapter 5 and verse 13. By, by the way, how many of you are this way? Like, can we vote? Maybe you don't want to tell. I, I talked to a pastor the other day, and, and this is a pastor, and he says to me, I think they sing too many songs at our church. He's like, I don't like singing that much. I just like, get to the preaching. You know, I'm like, okay. Um, okay, so, and, and some of you feel that way because you're not like all into singing, and it's not a big deal, you know. And others of you go, are you kidding me? I don't care if he preaches, but I want to sing, you know. If that's true about you, keep it to yourself. All right, I don't want to hear it. Because, um, you know, I, I, I have a thin skin about this stuff like that. But what I'm just saying is, the way the Word actually teaches is that you need, you need both. You need to minister the Word in song. And so here's what I'm suggesting. I know what you're thinking. Sometimes I stand over there and I introduce a song and I think, I don't mean this. This hasn't been true about me this week. And then I think, well, I'll just obey the Lord and I'll just sing this out of my heart so that it will be true about me. Did you know that there's power in that? There's actual power in that. That when you choose to worship God and say things that should be true, that's one of the ways that they become true. So that's why we sing these songs with all this rich stuff in them. You know, when you're standing there singing, blessed be the name of the Lord, even if my life caves in on me, someday your life might cave in on you, you know. And then you're going to want to have those songs. So, so you see, and James 5.13 says, If anyone's among you, suffer him, let him pray. Let, if he's cheerful, let him sing psalms, sing songs. So that's number four. Number five, every day, have a generous spirit. Be a giver every day. Are you with me? Stay. I'm trying to help you. you know, every day, be a, be a giver. This is the, the, like the, the wise men come and they, they, were, they had a decent upbringing. They didn't come without a gift. You know, my wife would sometimes say, I'm not even going to go if I can't bring a gift. You know, she's got that like, we're not even going to go if we're not, we're not. I'm like, well, we'll catch up to them later. She goes, well, I'm not going. If, I shouldn't be telling on you like that all the time. I always get in trouble for doing that. So rewind that tape and ignore that last slur there. I was like, I was like, but she has a good upbringing, you know. She's like, I taught, you bring a gift, you know. So, when you love somebody and you say, I have a gift for you. Because you mean a lot to me. And I want to give this to you. And then you watch them open it like, did you like it? It was just right, wasn't it? That's what you were looking for. God leans over the banister of heaven. And he says, I think, Carrie, you're so right. Are they going to love me back? I love them. I gave my life to them. Are they going to love me back? That's just all there is to it. And I'm saying, oh, God, I love you back. So you, you give to the poor. So the, you know, you give to poor. You help other people. You're kind to your waitress. And you give more than you should because you're a Christian. You don't just do that at Christmas time or when you're drunk, right? I mean, you should never be drunk, right? Yeah, I'm just saying. People in my paper, I was a kid gave me a big tip. And I went home and I said, Dad, they gave me a big tip. And I said, I don't know if the guy, I think the guy might have been drunk. My dad says, you got to take it back. I'm like, no, he wasn't drunk. Now that I think of it, he was just fine. 
You shouldn't have to get drunk to be generous, right? You should just be generous. The drunk thing, you're still processing that, you know. <laughs> you shouldn't have to be Christmas for you to be generous. It's a Christian thing. Are you a follower of Jesus? Or you should like once a year thing. It's like, no, you should be a giver. You should, you should be generous and you should never get drunk. All right. Because the Bible says that. And number six, number six, be a giver. You know, that whole, the whole thing of, of St. Nicholas has roots in a beautiful story. You know this, Nicholas of Myra, a pastor who gave secretly, based on Ma- Matthew chapter 6 and verse 1, gives, he gave secretly in the night. And as a result of that, a great legend grew up and traveled around the world, and we curse another the legend of St. Nicholas. But as a true story, you knew that. This whole thing, you know, when you trace good things back, they usually find their roots in Christ. And so it is with us. Okay, so every day, be a giver. Number six, remember that the power of love is eternal. First Corinthians 13, 8 says, never, love never fails. Now abides faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Love is our most powerful weapon. You ever wonder, how can we ever defeat ISIS? Should we just kill them all, bomb them all, kill them all, slaughter them all? Well, think about that. When all the Nazis were eliminated, did that wipe out hatred, prejudice, evil, and ignorance? They just have like different names now. Somebody's got to come up with a better idea. I'm not saying you know, we shouldn't protect ourselves. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that at all. If you knew me well, you'd know that's not true. But I'm just saying this is that the teaching of Jesus is that we overwhelm our enemies. We overcome our enemies with love. That our greatest, uh, that our greatest weapon is love. If you take uh, Romans chapter 12 and you study, well, let's just do it here. You're not in a big hurry to go anywhere, right? I didn't think so. Romans chapter 12 and verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it's possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, don't avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. As it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. In so doing, you heap coals of fire on his head. Don't be overcome by evil. Overcome evil with good. That sounds like Christmas. That sounds like Christian. That's what Christians do. They try to convert people. They try to convert people willingly. They try to win people to Christ. In the Muslim world today, there's a movement of, of evangelism. Should we have a military? Of course we should. Should we be able to defend ourselves? The Bible teaches that's true. Peter carried a sword, and Jesus knew it. But sometimes he used it at the wrong time. And Jesus says, does Peter pray? And Peter says, no, I want to sleep, and I want to use my sword when I get up. It's like, so he was carrying there, you know. But, but at that particular point, Jesus was not pleased with him that he used his weapon. He like, put it away. That's not what we're doing right now. And so as with Christians, Christians should, um, Christians should have a desire to see people converted, first of all. Seven, always have the light of hospitality burning in the window of your soul. That's a Christmas thing, inviting people. Always have the light of hospitality burning in the window of your soul. Hebrews 13, 1 says, let brotherly love continue. And don't forget, this is one of the most interesting passages of Scripture, right? Don't forget to entertain strangers. What does it say? Remember this one? Because sometimes people entertain angels unawares. That's a cool passage, isn't it? One of our parishioners, we visited their home the other day. And he was telling a story after story. Very interesting. His mother was a devout believer. And so he was telling a story about his mother. And how his mother was ministering to this person who was very afflicted, very troubled. Mentally, physically, very afflicted. And nobody else wanted to be around this person. But she was always very, very patient. And then he went away one day and he said to her, Mom, why are you so patient? Why are you so kind? And then he wept when he told the story. Didn't he, Lois? He's, 
tears came to his eyes. And he says, because my mom always said, you never know if you're taking care of an angel. <laughs> so we, we that are Christians, you ever see somebody, they light, they put a light in every window of their house, it's, or they put the luminaries out. And the symbolism is because we're lighting the way for the Christ child and the legends and the stories go that often you know, Jesus says, I'm going to visit, but he sends a poor person. He sends a single mom. He sends a person that's misunderstood. And then when we entertain them, we entertain him. We have a lot to learn about that, don't we? Always have. That's a Christmas thing, but it's a Christian thing. And number eight, Jesus has commissioned us to be the light of the world. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. But later on, he said, when I, as long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. And now you're the light of the world. And if you look in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14, it says that they may see your good works. It kind of ties light and good works. So witnessing good works are what it means to be the light of the world. And Jesus says, you are the light of the world. That's what it says. Everything that was ever true about Christmas is still true when we put the lights away. I was out in the garage, and I was throwing away wrapping paper one year. And I was thinking, man, that came and went so fast. It was so, so sweet, and it was, it's gone. And last year, and, uh, on Christmas Eve, uh, December 24, 2014, I blew my candle out, and then I took it back in my, this is the holder right here. I took it back in my study, and I put it in a drawer beside my chair, and every day, I want to open it up and remember that precious time that we had together in that beautiful service that none of us will ever forget. And I devote myself over and again. Jesus, let me be a Christian man that's a follower of Jesus, that my light would never go out, that I would, even when I'm hurt or even when I sin or even when I'm slothful or selfish, that I go back, God, help me by the power of the Holy Spirit to do Christmas things 365 days a year. Charles Dickens put in the mouth of Ebenezer Scrooge about the time that Ebenezer comes to repentance. What does he say? I will honor Christmas in my heart and try to keep it all the year. I remember as a boy, the first time I heard that, that had the ring of truth to it. I will honor Christmas in my heart and I will try to keep it all the year. That's it. And that's the answer to push the gloom out of your life right now. We are not done with Christmas. We're just getting started. That's what we do all the time. We may not call it Christmas, but it's like we're followers of Jesus. The light is never going to go out in our soul. The, the, the works are never going to leave our hearts. As long as we're alive and drawing breath, we're going to serve the one who came at Christmas about whom the angels sang and the, and the wise men came and worshipped him. He's still our Lord. He's still our Christ. The light's never going to go out. So the other night, we get a call from Lois's sister, who now is a widow, you know, and has these six children now, and dad isn't there anymore. And so now they have to have their first Christmas with dad not being there. I'm telling you, I was there. He was larger than life. For him to be gone, it's like, we're going over there this week, and it's going to be a little bit hard, because he's not going to be standing over by the coffee maker going, hey, Ken, come over and have a cup of coffee. But I can't imagine if that was my dad who's gone the first year. Some of you can. So it was Christmas night. And one of the girls comes in and says, Mom, something crazy is happening. There's like a whole bunch of people outside. There's a bunch of cars on the road. There's a U-Haul truck out there. And they live, uh, they, they live in, in Indiana, northern Indiana, just south of the Michigan border. And they're like, she says, and Mom says, listen, Emma, that's, that's just guests that are coming to, to the neighbors. She says, no, I don't think so. I think they're coming here. It's like a bunch of cars and 
now they're opening up the truck and they're getting stuff out of the truck. They got a big bench that says Bob Dunbar on it. And they took the big bench and they put it up on the steps. And then they opened the back of the truck and they started getting gifts out. And they started bringing gifts and they piled gifts up on the front porch. Piled gifts up to give them. They said, we're the Christmas commandos. That's what they said. They're an organization that, that, that goes to help people who've lost a loved one. It made me kind of think about our church. What would it be like if we renewed our commitment to Christ? To say, we're the people, you know, the Christmas commandos. We are the ones who worship all year long, 365. We're givers, 365 days a year. We're the people of reconciliation, goodwill, and peace, 365 days a year. We're the ones that sing 365 days a year. We're the ones that show hospitality. We're the ones who give the light. We're going to keep the lights on until all of our loved ones come home. Everything that's ever been true about Christmas is still true even after we put the lights away. And so I think it would be good for us to have at least one more Christmas song. Tom Counts is here. And we've asked him to come and just uh, maybe sing kind of the last song of Christmas. No pressure. And then after Tom sings to us, we'll be on our way home. You'll be dismissed.